what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the book of Romans. And uh, the title of the message is Jesus Changes Everything. Uh, if you've been around Jesus, you know that he changes everything. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read the scripture together. So if you are able to stand, I would love that. We're going to be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. I'll be reading the even verses. You'll be reading the odd verse if you can read loud so we can hear you. And if you're not sure when to start, I'll just give you a little point like that, okay? Here it is, verse 14. All the scriptures are right there. So bless those who persecute you, and don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And live in harmony with each other, and don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. And do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. You may be seated. Father, thank you that we're here. And thank you that, our, as we sing, that our sin is covered by you. And thank you that you're above our circumstances. You're above every situation that we face. You are everything that we need today. And Father, I thank you that you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you're the God that makes all things new, who answers prayer and changes lives. And as we open your word, we recognize that we're hearing not just words on a page, but God-breathed, divinely inspired words. I pray they would speak to us and we, we, we would hear things that we need to hear this morning. Equip us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And so uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus changes everything. We're going to talk about the life that you could live. We're going to unpack Romans, this is our last time in, in chapter 12. So I want to set the stage, though, for what we're going to talk about and review. So we're going to get to those verses, but we're going to take the scenic route to get there as I review a little bit. And so I just want to review Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. And let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then the ESV puts it this way. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the word spiritual there literally can be translated reasonable logical worship here. In other words, this is the logical thing to do when you realize all that God is and all that God has done, the only logical, reasonable conclusion that you could come to is that you would give yourself all that you are. And so this is what it is saying here. In light of all that God has done, through all the chapters of Romans that precede this, the immense length that he went to to bring you, to make you right with God, the magnitude of God's love here. Uh, when you come to understand the enormity there of, of everything that God has done and God's grace and God's mercy and, and all that he's done here, your only response could be to say, yes, I, I'm going to give myself back to you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be a holy and living sacrifice. And so all of that then becomes a foundation for what we're going to talk about. And if you don't have that locked into your mind, this really doesn't play out how it should here. And so once we understand that, then we launch into a life that we can walk in, walk with God and serve God in a whole new way 
that, that was never possible before. And so the Christian life then becomes one of responding. And it's responding to all that God is and all that God has done with all that we are. So now we're going to unpack what that looks like there. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be pressed. Don't be squeezed. Don't be forced. Don't be pressured into the, the world, uh, how the world would have you live. But the key is, is that your mind's got to be renewed. Got to be con- on, on an ongoing, gay, ongoing way renewed there. And the Holy Spirit then renovates, renews your mind really back to before the fall. That you're able to think God's thoughts and, and you're able to, to process things and process life in a new way. It says, um, by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. That you might discern the will of God there. That you might think uh, as God thinks with a renewed mind there. And so now the next passage in verses 3 to 8, it says, look, we got to think differently about yourself. you got to think differently about other people. you got to think differently about church. You can't think about church as like, yeah, it's the guy up there on the stage and the people on the platform. No, the church is about the church, all of the people there who bring uh, individual gifts, and that makes up the body there. And without your gifts, we are less than. We actually suffer if we don't have your gifts come into expression. For example, I'll just like says that we are a body like, okay, in my body, there's a feet there and my, and my shoes there. But what if my feet were to say, you know, and I, I just don't know if I want to bring, I don't know if I want to bring my feet to the game anymore. I think you're on your own. And I'm like done being the, the foot. I'm, I get stinky. It's dark and I'm, I'm sweating and I, no one sees me and I, I'm done with this. I don't want to be the foot anymore. Imagine how that impacts the body. Well, all of us bring something to the body of Christ there. So it's a paradigm shift in how we would think about church because it's no longer just some visible folks up there, paid staff. No, it's all of us functioning together here. And we were in, this is how the church was intended and designed to be. So uh, gifts, all of us have a gift, and all of us have a gift that comes to expression. And so the next passage then tells us that this is a responsibility, how we're to walk. So it says in verse 9, you can see it on the screen there, don't just pretend to love others. In other words, let it be real and really love them. So genuine love then, what he's saying here, it goes beyond just certain superficial actions. Uh, Genuine love, what he's saying here, is that it, it operates in the real deal. The real deal here where there's no phoniness, it's not fake, it's not artificial, it's not just carefully scripted and rehearsed there and no meaning whatsoever. He's saying literally, don't be hypocritical. Don't fake it, the whole love thing. Don't put on a mask. It literally means to put on a mask. Uh, It literally means hupocrete, actors in Greece there. Jesus said, by this shall all people, John 13, 35, by this shall all people know that you're my followers, you're my disciples. What? By that you tell them, right? That you tell them there. No, that's not it. That you got a bumper sticker on your car. No, that's not it there. Uh, so uh, that you hold your Bible a certain way, you know, when you come to church, that's how they're going to know. That's not how they're going to know. They're going to know that you, what? That you, what's it say? You, you love one another. That's how they'll know. And so uh, continuing here, it says, and hate what is wrong. Hate what is evil. It means to hate exceedingly. It means to constantly and to continually hate certain things. And what are you hating? You're hating the things that, 
that happen to people that undermine and destroy their lives. So there are things then, God says, you know, it's not okay not to hate. There are things that you, you actually want to exceedingly hate, evil, present tense, continuously, constantly, because you can become tolerant about things, even in your own life, that wreck your own life. There's really, you don't want to be neutral about them, sin that you don't want to be neutral about, that, uh, because we can tolerate things then and accept things into our own life that really do nothing that undermine them. And then he says in verse 9, hold tightly to what is good. In other words, to cling to what is good. So there's certain things that, again, you're to place very high value on. I just mentioned this morning about, uh, about going to Mexico. I think there's something we should, uh, I mean, feeding 3,000 children and orphans. I kind of want to cling to that. You know what I'm saying? I want to hold fast to that. I don't want to let go of that. I want to be a part of that. And so, uh, so there are things where maybe it's a good cause, maybe a good ministry, maybe a good action or a good attitude, or it's good for others. You want to influence people for good. The Bible says, as much as in you is, you know, do good to all men, especially those of the community, the household of faith there. So he's saying like, look, with these good to what is good, you want to be glued to it. You want to cling to it. You want to hold fast to it. Things that are intrinsically, truly good. And so you prioritize, though. And isn't it interesting that he, after saying, hate what is evil, he would say, cling to what is good. And then he says, love each other with genuine affection. Love each other. In other words, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about relationships in a church family. Now, it's, it's narrowing down the circle of love in this application here. Of course, you're to love everybody, but this is talking about in your church family. Remember, it's written to the church at Rome there. So it's talking about a family type of love. And I like this to think about that because when you're in family, like, why do you love family? Why do you love them? Do you love them because they deserve it? No, you don't love them because they're super cool, because they're awesome. No, none of those things. You love them because they're family, right? You put up with them because they're family. You know what I'm talking about? Because uh, they love you because you are you. Not because you're perfect, uh, uh, but here's what you do because they're your family. And here's what you do in church. You choose to set your love upon them when they're your family. You're choosing that, to set your love upon that's what he's talking about here. When they have good days and when they have bad days, doesn't matter because you're loving them as family here is what it's talking about. Imperfect family. How many people have people in their family? They're not always very lovable. Come on, beginning with the speaker this morning, they're not very lovable. It's amazing that they're unlovable on a regular basis. Just amazing how on a regular basis they're not lovable there, but you still are trying to embrace them with love. And even though you know them, I mean, if some of them start, like, starts talking trash about them, like my sister and I did not get along for a long time, for years, actually for years, my sister would not speak to me for 10 years, one season of life. She, now she, uh, things flipped and now I can do no wrong. But for this season, I'm serious. I'm now the wonderful, fabulous big brother. But, but I was like the antichrist I was demonized for years. But anyway, but if you, so even though it was a strange, if you were to talk trash about my little sister, I'd say, hey, you know what? And I would know some of it was true. I'd say, you don't get to talk to my little, about my little sister like that. That's Wendy, you know, and I'm her brother. And so I wouldn't allow that because she's my family. And so and that's what it's talking about here, about how we love one another. 
It says, take delight in honoring one another. That means to esteem one another as valuable, that they, that they feel valued. And then it says, never be lacking in zeal. Never, what does it say? Never be lacking in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So I like to talk about this here because it says, look, it's saying never, 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 one thing never to be lacking in is zeal or passion. And so it's saying, let's not give the Lord less passion than our hobbies. Let's not give the Lord less passion than maybe your golf game or your favorite team. Now, I'm, I'm, very, I'm passionate about my, my teams, but the passion I feel for Jesus far, far exceeds that, my team. So it's not like nothing wrong about having passion for your teams or golf or your hobbies or whatever. But sometimes what you can do, you could be at risk of this, as you sort of hit the fast forward button when it comes to zeal. And you think, well, that's like for certain people or, or passion. But notice what it says is never be lacking in that. So, well, I've, I've, been a, I've been a Christ follower for 20 years. Back in the day, I used to be. No, never, never, never be lacking in passion here. And so sometimes you think, well, I'm from a, I'm from a certain background, a certain denomination, and so I'm kind of from the frozen chosen. That's not how we do life. Never be lacking in zeal here. And so that means, hey, we're, we're passionate about loving people. We're passionate about going to Mexico. Uh, we're passionate about serving. We're passionate about the prayer meeting. Uh, we're passionate about worship. We're passionate about the Word of God. We're passionate all the time. Never be lacking in zeal. I think what has happened in church is this. Too many people are comfortable with their lack of zeal, their lack of passion, and they've normalized it. We normalize it in church when this says it's not normal. It's not normal here. So, so, Really, everybody should be excited, passionate about following Jesus because what else is there that compares with that? And so then it says be fervent in spirit. In other words, don't be lukewarm, don't be cold, don't be neutral, but it says every Christ follower can be, can be like an, a fired up Christ follower. And so and then he says, keep your, another translation, keep your spiritual fervor. Literally means this, to burn with passion or desire. In the original, that's what it means here. To be on passion, to be on fire with passion for God. So you think about Paul when he's uh, there writing to Timothy, who's like a young pastor, a young minister there in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, man, you're like, you've got an incredible legacy. Like your grandmother, Lolo. She's a rock star. And then you got your mom, Eunice. Unbelievable the amount of spiritual uh, examples that you have and all that they've deposited within you, Timothy, it really is amazing. But, says, but Tim, like, I'm observing your life, and he says, you got to stir up the gift that's within you. Uh, one translation is, you got to bring to a, a flame, fan the flame uh, that, of God that's within you. So here's a guy that, that he has this advantage of all that he's known and the legacy and the examples. And he's a minister. Paul says, yeah, but you got to stir it up. I think of like iced tea, you know, sometimes like if you put your, put your sugar in there, it just kind of goes to the bottom of the glass there. And you got you to like work it a little bit. It's like you got to really kind of work it and stir it and stir it and so that it becomes a part. But that's what can happen sometimes in your spiritual life or your spiritual gifts is they kind of like, they kind of like sink to the bottom there and they need to be stirred up and, and intentionally brought into activity again is what he's saying here. And so 
Anyway, then he says this uh, in verse 12. And rejoice in confident hope. The hope of heaven, the hope of, of everything that you've done, all that you sacrificed in your life will be rewarded and acknowledged in eternity in heaven. And then he says, be patient in trouble or in affliction. It literally means this. It means to endure. It means to persevere. It means to, to hold up under is, is what it means. And I think that there's people here today that you've got crushing circumstances. You've got difficult circumstances. And this is what it is saying. Saying, look, God will give you the grace to, to hold up and to persevere under the crushing weight of the circumstances that you bear. That's what he's saying here. It says it means that you, you, you're not just going to experience trouble. You will, but you won't experience it alone is what it's saying here. So you can hold up under so it's saying that life has its own inherent crushing circumstances, and that's inescapable. It's inescapable here. Jesus said that in the world, look, friends, in the world, you're going to have trouble, persecution, tribulation, tumultuous circumstances, uh, trials. So he says, uh, but we're to hold up under all of that because God is with you there. So it means to keep on going. And so how do we respond to that? Well, one thing Peter said is, don't be surprised the fiery trials that come upon you as though there's some strange thing. What he's saying is, look, this is, this is part of life here. Don't be surprised uh, of this in life in general uh, because uh, fiery trials are just going to come, come upon you. And I think the other way that we respond is this way is that we ask God, like, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What is it that I don't know, that I need to know, that I'm missing? It's a question I always ask in difficult, arduous, tumultuous circumstances. Lord, am I missing something? And what is it that you're trying to say to me? So perhaps God is trying to speak to you through the circumstance that is so difficult there. And it's, it's to teach you the trouble God sends trouble to teach you sometimes about you. And then he says this, verse 12, keep on praying. In other words, you just pray along the way there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. In other words, processing, living life through prayer. Uh, so it's just sort of just reflexive through the day there, lifting up your heart and letting your life just be a, a prayer unto God there throughout the day, simply interacting and engaging with the Almighty, even though you're doing your life there, but you're, you're praying without ceasing there. Maybe you pull out of your, out of your, your garage there, and you, and you drive by your neighbors, and you're maybe mindful of something or their life, and you pray for your neighbor there. Or, or uh, maybe um, some of you, you're speeding, and you pray you won't get caught. Yeah, have you ever done that? I have. So anyway, so then maybe you're, you're going to a meeting, and you pray about the meeting. I, I, it's a normal part of my protocol, going into a meeting. I, I pray about the meeting and who I'm meeting with. Maybe you, you pray about your school, your career, or you pray for your boss, or your coworkers, or whatever. But you're just praying then throughout the day, processing life through prayer. So pray, pray, pray. Then let me give you another one here, verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. God's people are are in need, be ready to help them. Another translation reads, contribute to the needs of the saints. Not that you don't contribute to people that God puts in your life there, but this is specifically in a community. 
It's written to a church in Rome there, community in Rome, and it's talking about that community, the saints in the, the community there. And so this is really love lived out. Love lived out. I want to talk about what this would look like here because uh, how this plays out that it, you're in church, right? You're going to see people from time to time that are needful. And it's going to be obvious that they are needful there. And so uh, some people uh, uh, may come up to me from time to time and say, hey, Rod, just let me know. When somebody's in need, you just let me know. And, um, and so I just need to tell you that, like, I don't know all the needs, there's so many needs that I'm completely unaware of, and I'm not just able to process that. And this doesn't say when God's people are in need, go to one of the elders and ask them who's in need. No, it says when God's people are in need, you be ready. You just, you be ready to help them. So this is what the scriptures say, friends. This is what life is supposed to, to look like in the community. And so you look around and you see needs everywhere. And so the way it looks like is you may say, well, Lord, um, I want to live a life of generosity and help me to see the needs of people around me. And so in my own life, here's how it, look, how, here's how it has looked like at different times. I had missionaries that would stay at our house. Uh, we would just um, have them live with us. And then I'd hear their story. Their story would be like they had all these kids and no food. So I'd take them to the grocery store, take them to Costco. But see, there, there's a need there that you see that you can meet. And you can't be all things, all people, all the time, all by yourself. But you can do something for somebody. And that's what it's talking about. Do something for somebody. So here's what happened uh, a month ago. So I'm sitting uh, in, uh, right down here. I'm sitting right down here. And uh, sitting next to me, sitting next to me, is somebody like, the sh- if you would have gone by the shoes, you would have thought they were homeless. Uh, before God, you would have thought they were homeless. Well, I knew the backstory. I knew the backstory of the person's life, and I knew that because they had shared with me about their budget, and I saw that in their budget, they were giving, they were tithing. But they, while they're tithing, he's going with, he looks like he's homeless with his shoes there. And, I, and I'm sitting there, and the scripture came to me, I knew it was God that was speaking to me, and, and it, kept, it kept coming to me again and again. As we're, we're in worship, and I'm, I wasn't teaching that morning, so I was just listening. And so um, while I'm sitting there, the scripture comes to me, Romans 5.5. 5, um, how is it then, brethren, when you see someone in need, and you close up your heart of compassion, that the love of God abides in you? And I'm sitting, I'm listening to the message, and it just keeps coming over and over. I'm looking at his shoes, and how is it that the love of God abides in you? And so I thought, like, I get it, so I'm going to say something. So anyway, so I contacted the person. I said, hey, I'd just like to pick, meet you at a place, a shoe place. And I'm like, where do you like to get shoes? And he described, the person described the place. I said, I'll meet you there. And so he picks out some shoes, and I said, well, how about, like, we get another pair of shoes and, uh, oh, yeah, I could use those for such and such when I do such and such. I said, okay, and uh, how about another pair of shoes? I thought for as long as I have breath in my lungs, I just want to make sure this guy has shoes. And so um, anyway, so that's what it looked like to me. Maybe, maybe, for example, you leave here, and you're waiting in your car for your wife, your husband, or your kids or something, and you look at the car next to you, 
And you look at it like, and they're like, like they have like tomatoes for tires. You know what I'm talking about? Looks like they're bald. And, uh, and you, maybe, you, maybe you just got that, that $1,000, you know, gift or whatever. Maybe God didn't just give that to you for you. Maybe God gave that to you for someone else. I often think that way. When God blesses you, maybe it's not just for me. Maybe it's for someone else. That you can be ready to help someone in need here is the point. And so, and then he says this. He said, be eager to practice hospitality. To be eager means this. It means to pursue. It means to run out. Well, I'm an introvert. Okay, but you can get over your being an introvert by the grace of God here because it says, be eager to pursue, watch. That it means literally that you are running after that person. It's what it literally means in the original language here. And so uh, uh, you're, you're, you're being intentional about it. It's not just, oh, you know, I'll give you a call sometime. No, you're pursuing them. That's what it means. Be eager, pursue, run after them. Hospitality means to show love then to strangers. That's what it means. The idea is to welcome people into your community is what it means. And I get it. It can be uncomfortable and all that. But friends, this is what the, this is what, this is what the Scripture says. The idea is welcoming friends or people, even strangers, into the community. So I just want to say, friends, this is, how, this is how a Christ follower lives here, seeking to pursue hospitality, to be eager. And so really, so what are we? we, we we're people that love people. That's who we are. We're, we're people that love people. And so to love and to help strangers and to reach out to people that we don't know. And here's the problem. Here's the problem today. The problem is we're so isolated that it's never become harder in my lifetime. Perhaps it's been unprecedented in our lifetime with COVID and all to connect with people, to have community and experience that. And so because we're so isolated, as well as culturally, you think about it, you drive through old neighborhoods, they had porches everywhere, which bespeaks of a day when people just lived in community. They sat on their porches and people walked by and they engaged one another. Drive through the old parts of Redlands, you see porches on every house. Now we don't have porches. Now the way that we live is the garage door goes up and you go in, shuts down. You may know nothing at all about your community. And so in light of that, God knew that throughout the ages, the people would need to hear this. The people would need to hear that they need to reach out to other people in the context of your personality or what that would look like. And I get it. You know, there's just, there's just a handful of flaming extroverts and everybody there's, there's, is their friend. I get that. But in, your, in, the, in the context of how God wired you up, you can express hospitality. So, so then it says, bless those who persecute you and don't curse them and pray that God will bless them. So here's the reality. The community of a Christ following a uh, uh, community like this what happens is, is that you get blindsided from time to time. Somebody hurts you. They undermine you. They say something. They do something. They give you a certain look. And you get disillusioned. What happens is, is people get disillusioned. They're like, I'm done. Like, if that's what it's like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of a church community here. And what it's saying is that you're going to encounter people that are broken. Their brokenness is going to come to expression. And every once in a while... You're going to get a relational punch that sends you crashing to the canvas. Sends you crashing to the canvas. And what are you going to do when that happens there? It says, bless those. Bless them. This is in the context of church. Bless those that persecute. Pray for them. Watch. And bless. So twice it says bless. Repeated for emphasis there. 
And the original word in the Greek language is where we get our word eulogy from, to eulogize. So that's what it means to bless. Watch, watch where we're going here. That means that you don't trash talk them. Watch, you don't trash talk them like at a funeral, like I've done some funerals. Like I've never got up there and said, you know, this dirty rat, the guy like, the guy like did me wrong. Let me tell you what he, no. You eulogize them, you bless them. You talk favorably about them. So that's the original language there. And so, but people say, yeah, what comes around goes around. What goes around comes around. And so, but here's what you're doing. Subtly, you don't realize this, but you're setting the table for yourself for unforgiveness and a root of bitterness to spring up within you that the author of Hebrews said will defile many. And so you just subtly don't realize it, and you just go out there and you keep telling your story about what they did to you and this church person, this and that, and you don't realize you are setting yourself up for unforgiveness, bitterness. It's going to undermine your life. That's why it says, hey, don't speak, uh, don't speak negatively and trash talk them. How insightful is that, friends, how to live? How insightful? Because most of us don't live that way. Now, verse 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. It's easy to, to, be, uh, to weep with those who weep. It's easy, much easier than to, to be happy with those that are happy. Happy that those that got the promotion that you were hoping you would get, and you needed it more than they did. Well, they got the deal of the century on the car and got the last one, and you went with them to buy the car, and you're thinking like, I need the car. My car's got tomatoes for tires. I need it more than they do, and they got it. And you're not, you're, you, know, you, you don't want to rejoice with those that are rejoicing all the time. Then verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think that you know it all. Oh, what a, what a good verse that is. In other words, treat everybody the same. I have to tell you, it's within me not to treat everybody the same. Is it within you? Is it within you to not treat everybody the same? It certainly is within me. And so this says treat, live in harmony with each other. You treat everybody the same. Treat them equally. And you meet people that maybe it's their personality, their background, how they're wired up, whatever. And it's so easy to be super nice to them. It's so easy, you know, when people are wealthy, influential, uh, uh, educated, uh, people of authority, celebrity. It's very easy, you know, to, to treat them well. And then those that are less than, when you go down to Hope City and 80% of the people are homeless, how do you treat those folk? Do you treat them the same? Or do they get less than because of who they are? So what this is saying is, uh, don't be some is like, you know what? They ain't got nothing to offer me. I ought to be with my people. No, this is saying like, look, you treat the big shot like you do the little shot, and all the shots in between, they all get the same treatment is what this is saying here. And so in God's eyes, the big shot is equal to the little shot and all the other shots, so you treat them the same. The Bible says in James chapter 2, when you show favoritism, you sin. And so then he says, don't think that you know it all. That's like the attitude, like can be very subtle, uh, and so you can just feel kind of a smugness and an arrogance about people where they just think that they just know it all. They're so full of themselves, you know, and they're like, yeah, come to me and I'll let all the wisdom and Bible knowledge flow. Yes, I've memorized Wayne Gruden's systematic theology, and I'm hoping you impress. you're impressed. I even know that. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I show up at the small group there. 
I know more than everybody put together. It's a good thing that I'm there. So the Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, because the tendency with some people could be that you do. And then it says in Romans 12, 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you as honorable. Okay, so we're running out of time, so I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. We're not going to make it through the rest of the chapter. What it's saying is, is, is um, would you agree with me, would you agree with me that uh, we have a tendency left to ourselves to want to get back at other people, to get even? Do you, would, you, would you agree with me that we live in a get-even world? Would you disagree with me? That would, you, would you agree with me? Yep, okay. And so we live in a get-even world. And so it's within me to want to get even, right? It's within you to want to get even, right? Somebody does me wrong, I'm just telling you, I want to get even. It's within me, okay? Uh, and I know this, so I just want to unpack this as we close. And so when I was eight years old, when I was eight years old, uh, and I'm living with, I was like my mom's guardian because my dad was gone. I'm eight years old, and the neighbors next door, they said, let's build the brick wall. Let's build the brick wall. So we build the brick wall, but the neighbors came to my mom, and they said this. They said, hey, uh, we've got the rose garden there. Could you move the brick wall over to your side of the property so it won't destroy our brick, our, our rose garden? So my mom was very gracious, and, uh, and, um, and so she said, yeah, we could do that. Well, then it came time to pay. Guys, you can come up. Then it comes time to pay for the brick wall, and they said, oh, it's on your property. It's not on our property. We're not going to pay for the brick wall. I'm eight years old. I'm like, they're going to pay. They're going to pay for what they did. What do you do? Like, how do you, how do you, like, how do you get even when you're eight? You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of options, you know, when you're eight years old. There's not a whole lot of options out there. So I thought to myself, you know what? I got a pretty good arm. And uh, I got a good arm. And uh, we got eggs in the fridge. And so uh, I'm going to egg their house. So I, I was very strategic about this, and I was very fast. I, I could run like they could never catch me. I was so fast. So what I would do was, I'm going to get even. So I'd take the eggs. I'd get, get about three or four eggs. Go, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'd throw up real high so there would be air time. While they're up in the air, I'm taking off back, you know, down, and I can hear the door flying open. I can hear it come flying open. They had a son there that uh, was about 20, and he come flying out, and he could never catch me because I had this perfect strategy of those bombing their house with the eggs. Come on, friends. What's inside of me is inside of you, too. It's inside of you, too. Don't look at me like that. And so, but what do you think that I did? Do you think I did it one time and I was done? I bombed their house so many times, they stopped cleaning up the eggs. They stopped, they were just like, pfft. And they knew it was me, and they could never catch me until one day my sister confessed for me. My sister confessed, and I ended up going over to the house and cleaning up the eggs. Oh, hey, there's another one over here. There's another one over here. Yeah, you got three from last week over here. And so, but listen, friends, what this is saying is, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, you trust God to deal with it. Like for me, I had to take, it, I had to take matters into my own hands. You, you ripped my mom off, you will pay.
you will pay. What it's saying is no. Like God wants to take that out of you, that revenge factor that's inside all of us, and you give that back to God and you, and you, and you entrust him that he will enact justice in your situation. Okay, more to come next week.